This is ARRL's Eclectic Tech, a bi-weekly look at the technical and scientific side of amateur radio with your host Steve Ford, WB8IMY. Eclectic Tech is brought to you by ICOM. ICOM, for the love of ham radio, is about the passion for an incredible hobby. Visit ICOM in the community webpage at www.icomamerica.com forward slash community. I have the pleasure of speaking with Bart Yonke, W9JJ. He's the ARRL Radio Sport Manager. Good afternoon, Bart. Good afternoon, Steve. It's great to hear from you, and thanks for uh, having me on. Well, you too. In a story that appeared on the ARRL website in January, just last month, there was an item about the fact that apparently uh, you're awarding somewhat more uh, 220 meg- uh, 222 megahertz worked all states awards. Is that correct? That is. Uh, it uh, returned to an environment that hadn't seen any activity for, uh, well, close to 35 years. Well, yeah. I mean, it's like Rodney Dangerfield saying, you know, the 222 megahertz band don't get no respect. Uh, don't get a lot of activity either. Exactly. But that appears to be changing at the moment. In fact, in the story, it said that uh, K1OR had just clinched uh, Worked All States number 30, no, number 13 on 222. Is that right? That is correct. And right behind him was, uh, let's see, who else was it? Oh, uh, former President Joel Harrison, W5ZN. and sure. um, And mm-hmm. also uh, Marshall Williams. K5QE, all the way down there in Texas. How are they managing to do this, Bart? Because when I think 222 megahertz, it's hard for me to conceive of somebody, especially in the middle of the United States, being able to work every single state, including Alaska and Hawaii. How are they going about this? Well, Steve, it it might be well to give you one of these Paul Harvey moments uh, and give you uh, the rest of the story. By all means. And, uh, and the rest of the story is to, to really take a, a, a step back and look at what has been um, the progression on the 220-222 megahertz band. Uh, as many of your listeners may have read in the ARL letter back in January, we uh, discussed the fact that this new activity uh, is building on something that began more than 35 years ago by a, uh, a group of, uh, of 220 megahertz uh, aficionados who uh, began their quest for working all states. And as we mentioned in the article, Terry Van Betschoten, W0Victor Bravo, was the very first person to work all states on 220 megahertz. He was followed during that same period of time by a group of amateurs that were all uh, busy in that same quest a quest to, uh, if you will, be in the top 10. And then um, due to the, again, what we describe in the uh, in the letter article, uh, changes in the band, uh, commercial interests, uh, staking claim to a portion of it, the FCC, uh, making it available for commercial interests, our losing of the bottom of the band from 220 to 222, uh, it tend to stall efforts by a number of these participants. So uh, back in the 1983, 84, 85, 86, and 87 era, 
a number of amateurs, and again, you'll see in the link that we provide in the story, uh, to a web page that we actually maintain uh, WAS status, WAS serial numbers, uh, et cetera, for 6 meters, 2 meters, 220 slash 222, 432, and even 1296. Uh, this list is out there. And essentially, it was W0VB, W0SD, and WB0TEM, which has its own story behind it. And in fact, uh, listeners may find of interest uh, the story of the quest for 220 or 1.25-meter WAS. Uh, of interest, it'll be written up in the Central States VHF proceedings for the July um, uh, convention, which is going to be held in La Crosse, Wisconsin, in the, in the next few months, um, pandemic permitting. Um, so, uh, and other stalwarts that you'll have heard call signs of before, uh, Fred and Lee Fish, W5FF and K5FF, uh, Al Ward, who uh, has just been so prominent in many of our VHF, UHF, and microwave exploits, now W5LUA, uh, the VE3EMS, who's now VE7TS, uh, W3GPY, K9KFR, and finally KA0Y. Uh, K-A-0-Y, uh, it had his, uh, I guess it was started out small and grew to 40, even 50 foot dish. Um, and he used that for EME and WAS and multiple bands from the state of Iowa. And, uh, as I recall the last time, and I think, I think the dish is still available. Uh, uh, K3 station now has that dish, uh, in Iowa, but, um, K-A-0-Y, uh, was written up regarding his use of the dish because he had it on a gun mount from a destroyer. And uh, that was always interesting reading. He also, it was from the um, the home of James T. Kirk, which uh, I'm just trying to remember the name of the city now. Oh, the Star Trek fans will kill us for the Take, not remembering. They will. Uh, <laughs> uh, Riverside, Iowa. There you go. So... KA0I set up his 50-foot dish in Riverside, Iowa, the home of James T. Kirk. Uh, that was a make that the future home of James T. Kirk. Right. Uh, more recently, so uh, efforts over about the last five, seven, maybe even more years uh, by a stalwart group of individuals has uh, rekindled interest in um, WAS on the one and a quarter meter band. Uh, Joel Harrison, as you mentioned earlier, uh, obtained uh, the first of this new group of Worked All States Award recipients uh, back in December of 2021, uh, becoming number 11. Uh, Marshall Williams, K5QE, uh, followed him shortly thereafter at the beginning of January as uh, Worked All States number 12. And K1OR uh, uh, submitted his application in uh, about the middle of January, uh, earning number 13. Now, having said that, there are some who are really close. K1WHS Dave Olian, uh, many may know Dave as the uh, chief design engineer for Chriscraft Antennas back in the what late 70s and 80s. Um, and also uh, Ray Rector, WA4NJP, who's very active from the southeastern U.S. Uh, both of those fellows have 50 states worked, but they're still trying to collect up the uh, cards, uh, up to, well, I should say the, the QSO confirmations that they had uh, earned from QSOs that go back 
perhaps several years, but either didn't have the card or misplaced the card. And then a couple of others are nipping on their heels in 9HF, David Carroll, who's in Florida, is at 49 states, and he's waiting to work his 50th state, and uh, N0AKC, uh, who is in uh, Wisconsin, and uh, he just needs a couple of states, and he will have achieved WAS in 222. So you had commented on uh, what makes uh, it possible or what makes it unique by uh, by seeking or, or pursuing this quest for one and a quarter meter worked all states. And, and a couple of things come to mind. The first is that the 220 band is not a band that we always had. It was something new gained during uh, work activities, uh, World Amateur Radio Conference. And um, it is a region two only band, which means it's North America and South America only. Uh, next is that uh, there wasn't always um, multi-mode equipment for the band. So although uh, there are transverters and some early transceivers, uh, even today uh, a good amount of the people who, who operate on this band are using transverters or Yaesu FT-736Rs with 220 modules to accomplish what they're accomplishing. That's probably been one of the greater challenges for the band is just having people who possess the equipment. And while you can do it on FM, uh, that is make contacts and people do so in during the VHF contests, uh, certainly the long distance contest te- uh, contacts tend not to be uh, done on FM. Carrying forward, uh, there is a benefit to being in the middle of the U.S. Uh, uh, and this is held true for uh, certainly on two meters, 220 uh, probably as well. And that is uh, with meteor scatter, tropospheric scatter, uh, aurora, some limited e-skip, uh, especially at two meters, there is a significant number of amateurs who have worked the lower 48 states without using moon mounts really? uh, from the, from the uh, Mississippi River Valley, plus or minus about 100 miles. I believe uh, uh, individuals like uh, Joel Harrison, um, who, uh, like I said, has worked on states number 11 now in 222. I believe Rick Roderick was another one of those. Uh, there is a, a significant number of, of central located amateurs who on two meters had worked the lower 48. Even when I was in Wisconsin originally, before I came to work for ARL, I accomplished 43 states from further north in Wisconsin and further east of the Mississippi. And my challenge was I was just getting a little bit too far from the West Coast to work those last few states that I needed on terrestrial uh, methods. So it's it's very possible to do so. Uh, That is to to come close to working the lower 48 without moon bounce. Uh, Alaska and Hawaii, of course, is requiring moon bounce. And this recent group is using um, moon bounce with the portable efforts of a number of uh, terrific roving uh, individuals, uh, as we mentioned in the January uh, ARL letter article, who uh, have taken a couple of antennas, uh, modest power, digital modes, and are providing those last few states needed for these uh, for this new group to work all states on 222 megahertz. Bart, if you were going to set up a what you might call competitive station for 222 megahertz. How would you equip it? In other words, uh, what sort of hardware, antennas, and so on, generally speaking? I guess to begin is you have to work within your means. So uh, some people will uh, scavenge 
to assemble the station that they uh, intend to use. Others will uh, break out their checkbook and uh, or credit card and, and buy the components that will get them to the greatest performance. Essentially, antennas uh, such as, um, oh, I don't know, uh, I guess we can talk in either terms of length or in terms of wavelength, of uh, two, two to three wavelengths or longer power levels of, say, oh, 500 watts up to 1,500 watts. Uh, transverter from one of the manufacturers uh, that provides transverters these days, you know, certainly domestically down east microwave. Uh, there are some transverters uh, on the on the second hand market from Allencraft. Uh, there are some international suppliers of transverters for 220. Um, there's the ACUF T736 uh, with a tr- with a 220 module, and ICOM at one point had an ICOM 375A which was a dedicated 220 uh, transfer, uh, 220 to 225 transceiver. So those would be uh, examples of the uh, how to get your uh, frequency generated. Uh, amplifiers are available from various manufacturers um, for the 220 band. Uh, manufacturers, uh, Steve, as you know, having uh, done some of the reviews um, from uh, Jim W6PQL, also, the lunar link amplifiers. Um, there are some solid-state amplifiers, TE systems, and uh, of real interest to amateur radio operators, as we are uh, those who will scavenge or try to do the most for the least cost, is TV drawers coming out of the analog-to-digital conversion where manufacturers like Larkin, Harris, and others had these uh, television drawers for channels 11, 12, and 13, um, or if you will, high VHF, that with with little to no adjustment, and when I say adjustment, I'm talking about uh, how you uh, modify the connectors for the for the amplifiers for power to enable or, or if you will, interrupt bias, and also to establish input and output connectors that are more consistent with amateur radio use. Um, these can generate anywhere from several hundred watts in the, uh, if you will, 500 to 800 watt range, all the way up to some of these generating uh, 1500 watts plus. So um, there's a great market for those uh, operating uh, generally at, at 48 volts. Um, and lastly, antennas. And, and this is, again, a fun part as well. Manufacturers like um, Directive Systems and Engineering, um, in uh, I believe Terry is in Virginia these days, who uh, have a 16-element um, Yagi for 220 MHz or 222, I should say. Um, and also, I believe they have a larger one that they will make available for special order. You have M-squared with their 10-element uh, uh, as well as a 5-wavelength and a 7-wavelength. The 7-wavelength is a special order or may have been discontinued, but it has been available previously. Uh, For some healthy, long antennas, uh, scaling designs of antennas that you already have down to 222 also works, like taking uh, the design of, say, a 220, excuse me, a 2-meter Yagi and making it into a 222 Yagi is not overly complicated. And in fact, even modification of existing 220 antennas to cover 222 is an option. For example, 
the 220 Boomer of days uh, of old, the Cushcraft antenna, with some minor adjustments would be still a, a decent performing antenna at 222 megahertz and could be used there directly, but its performance would go up with some some uh, smaller modifications. And don't forget antennas like uh, N6NB, Wayne Overbeck's uh, Quaggy antennas, uh, which everybody finds uh, as a fun and interesting project to build uh, Quaggies, uh, quad-driven element, quad-reflector, and Yagi directors. And also WA5VJB has his uh, portable antenna designs. I think he calls them the WA5VJB cheap Yagis, which are, again, a a similar uh, approach to simply uh, building an antenna for yourself. When it comes to antennas, Bart, what about the height factor? I mean, are we talking about having to install a tower on your property or moving to a home on top of a mountain? And and that's the sort of the the funny part of it all, uh, Steve. And and people don't always fully embrace the the principle. Um, if if, for example, your goal, your location is an extreme East Coast or an extreme West Coast or Alaska or Hawaii location, um, more often than not, the bulk of your QSOs are going to be made by making your contacts through moon bounce. In the case of moon bounce, having your antenna 10, 15, 20, or 30 feet closer to a uh, 250,000-mile path doesn't really accomplish a whole lot. So you can mount them as close to the ground as is practical for your circumstance, you know. Keep it above a height so that you can mow underneath or people don't hit their heads on it or or things like that. The closer to the ground a moon mount's antenna is, the more, um, um, if you will, adjustments or maintenance can be done on it. Um, and in some cases, physical um, pointing of the antenna can be done through a manual process. Uh, if you are located in a part of the country where you're looking to make, you know, meteor scatter, aurora, uh, possible e-skip or uh, terrestrial uh, tropospheric contacts. You want to get above your nearby obstructions. So if you've got buildings nearby, you've got trees nearby, um, you want to be just above them, uh, but not so high necessarily. It, again, it all depends on what your your financial and your your physical means are based on any restrictions you have on your property. Um, but generally, you simply want to get above things that will absorb RF, like wet tree leaves and stuff like that. And remember, the higher you go, the further you are away from the shack, the more feed line loss you have. Oh, absolutely. That's something that has to be remembered. Exactly. And again, you consider things like, okay, I can generate more power, but Am I going to be able to hear the stations who are responding to me at that higher power level? So you need to give some thought to having a very good low-loss feed line. They tend to be larger in diameter. They tend to be more costly. They tend to be more difficult or at least more challenging to route you know, in and out of the house, across the yard, around the tower, things like that. And then secondarily, whether or not you believe it necessary based on the size of your feed line, um, to have a preamp, and 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 having said that, have the preamp at the tower, have uh, separate bypass relays or a or a TR relay where 
you transmit through a low-loss feed line and maybe bring back the receive through a smaller, lossier feed line where the gain of the preamp overcomes the losses. And it comes back to your transverter or transceiver as a split input and output um, where, uh, you know, uh, especially in the case of a transverter, many of them designed so that you can have a separate transmit out and a separate receive input. Well, thank you very much, Bart. There's a lot of information here to absorb. Very helpful. Well, you're very welcome, Steve. And again, congratulations to those who who entered into the new quest for Workdahl States on 222. Um, the list is growing. There's been people who have been working at this for a long time. Uh, they couldn't have done this without the efforts of not only their own dedication, but that of people who have offered to set up a station either portable or as a, if you will, a, a rover of sorts. And uh, these these people, especially the portable and rover folks, are are the difference for these uh, stations seeking WAS uh, because they wouldn't have these states through routine um, contacts normally. And of course, uh, as this uh, activity grows and as we get more hype or talk about it, and of course, like I said, the Central States VHF con- uh, conference will have an article in its proceedings on the quest for 222 megahertz WAS, uh, getting that word out, getting people interested. 222 megahertz will come as a surprise to many when they listen to it as compared to, say, 2 meters or 432 as a band that is very quiet as compared to the noise you more typically might hear on 2 meters or 432. So that is one of the benefits as well is that uh, not only is a quiet band, but when you're listening to weak signals and you've got the audio turned up, uh, you know how it can get uncomfortable listening for long periods of time oh, yeah. to what would be man-made or or even some natural noise. And uh, 220 is a is a quiet band in that regard. Perfect. Thanks again, Bart. You're very welcome, Steve. Tune in again for the next episode of Eclectic Tech, produced by ARRL, the National Association for Amateur Radio. Music is provided by Purple Planet at purpleplanet.com. If you have comments... Email eclectic at arrl.org. This episode is copyright ARRL and all rights are reserved. I'm Sabrina Jackson, KC1JMW. See you next time.